Let's go in-depth on Hawkeye sports with the Des Moines Register. It's time for Hawk Central, powered by G-MIG's 5th Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. And away we go. Hawk Central, Chad Leisticko, Mark Emmert, Mitch Widmeyer filling in for Ross Peterson. It's odd, Chad. Um, August 1st, we're exactly a month away from the Hawkeyes kicking off their regular season against Northern Illinois, and I feel like this is kind of the milk-it-out time where we're just trying to get to the mm-hmm. regular season opener. But alas, we have a boatload, a bevy of topics to dive through today, a lot Iowa-related. But for those who are carrying over from uh, the sports fanatics, I, I think we kind of got to do our due diligence and start with Urban Meyer, who's been paid uh, placed on paid administrative leave as of about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, shocking uh, string of developments, and um, good for Ohio State for taking some action here of what's obviously become a a real serious uh, national story. Um, I mean, I'm kind of, I was just talking to you, Mitch, here off the air. I'm kind of surprised that they did do this so quickly with with Urban Meyer, and it seems like, I don't know, I'm curious to see what happens from here. Obviously, we want to get to the bottom of it, but uh, it doesn't look good for the head coach of the Buckeyes. Yeah, Mark, what was your reaction to seeing that about 10, 15 minutes ago that Urban Meyer uh, will be placed on paid administrative leave as Ohio State's going to open up sort of their own investigation into all of this? Yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised. It tells me I think that there's they know there's something there that uh, is not good, and I think, personally, I think that means it's uh, the beginning of the end for Urban Meyer's reign there. As coach, I don't see him coming back from being put on paid administrative leave. I mean, I'm not sure what the explanation would be if they did do that. They brought him back. And, uh, I think uh, I think we're seeing a big regime change at Ohio State, and maybe it's uh, long overdue. And for those who have had no access to Twitter or Facebook or the Internet at all today, the background to this is Urban Meyer and what sort of knowledge he had into his wide receiver, former wide receivers coach Zach Smith, into some uh, domestic violence allegations, and there's more than one uh, on his track record. Was it's, it nine? Yeah, it was nine. nine. And text messages that were going back and forth between the wide receiver coach's wife, who was the victim here, and Urban Meyer's wife, and then what Urban uh, knew or didn't know. And it, it seems like a lot of it is stacked against him. Yeah, Mark and I were just in Chicago last week with – and he vehemently denied really any knowledge of anything that had happened with his wide receivers coach until very, very recently. So um, that was, I mean, that's those words may ultimately come back to haunt him. Um, the ones he just mm-hmm. spoke at the podium uh, last, uh, whatever it was, last Tuesday. So um, very interesting. And then uh, someone had just tweeted one of the reporters, uh, language in Urban Meyer's contract, which makes it even worse, uh, he, that he just signed in April, that he uh, he shall promptly report to uh, Ohio State's Deputy Title IX Coordinator of Athletics any known violations of Ohio State's sexual misconduct policy for staff members included. So, and that um, was as of April, you said? As of April, that um, uh, according to this uh, this reporter's uh, you know, Twitter feed. So, and he, he screenshotted language of the contract. So, yeah. So. Uh, Sounds like it doesn't bode well for Urban Meyer. Mark, we all three said we were maybe surprised is the appropriate word to use, that we were a little surprised that Ohio State took this action so quickly. Not that we're against it, just that the nature of their response time. I was talking to Chad off the air before we hopped on here, Mark, and I said, I don't know what it says about maybe me or today or the the world we live in, but I wasn't surprised when I saw the news in the story in and of itself. Like when I saw it, in the allegations and what Urban Meyer may have kind of 
covered up or not reported or not done anything about, it didn't shock me. I wasn't like, whoa, this is crazy. I was just like, oh, Urban Meyer might be covering his wide receiver coach's butt and mm-hmm. helping him out. Like, it didn't surprise, that didn't surprise me at all. What about you? Yeah, well, I guess I did just because he had denied it, you know, just a week ago, like Chad said, I mean, I'm not sure why he would have done that. It's just because now it's all coming out. He must have known it was going to come out. He must have known that his wife knew. Um, I mean, uh, his own, like, I don't know what they call that guy, the spiritual guru that he has, went down to Florida to try to talk this woman out of pressing charges years ago. So obviously he didn't do that on his own. I'm sure Urban Meyer knew then. It could be pretty easy to trace back to him. So I'm not sure what his what his game plan was to stand up there and repeatedly deny that he knew this when it's clearly he knew it, he knew about it for years. So uh, you know, in this in this climate, you're just not going to get away with that kind of stuff anymore. And thankfully, you're not going to get away with that kind of stuff anymore. So uh, I'm getting tired of these stories about men behaving so poorly and, and being enabled for so long. It's ridiculous that this this happened to this woman. And uh, I think uh, you know, Urban Meyer should pay the price, and so should his wife. Interesting. Urban Meyer's wife, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. She she obviously. She's She's a, she's a, as a, as a main player in this story now. Uh, she's right. very much a very much a, a public face over at Ohio State. I mean, it's not like she's um, she's very prominent in that you know prominent visible mm-hmm. figure in the program. So um, yeah. yeah, very interesting. Obviously, uh, on the field they named an interim coach, um, their offensive coordinator. Um, be interesting to see how this transpires. I mean, he's. He's not going to be part of camp right now at Ohio State. So uh, a month out from the season, they're going through an interesting transition too. So I just, I just don't think he ever comes back. I really think this is the end for him in, in Columbus. Certainly at Columbus. I mean, now we can't say yeah. definitively. I mean, we, I thought <laughs> I thought the coaches at Michigan State might be in trouble, but they certainly were. Uh, yeah. Were not. I, it doesn't look like Mark <laughs> D'Antonio or Tom Izzo are going anywhere. So um, you never know, but it does seem like Ohio State's taking the right steps. We we can wrap up the Ohio State part of this, and, and obviously the focus rightfully sh- sh- uh, should be on Courtney Smith, Zach Smith's wife. But from the Ohio State perspective, I'm curious to pick your guys' brains just a little bit. What, what do you think this means for Ohio State on the field for this year, assuming that Urban probably isn't on that sideline coaching? Yeah, I, mean, I just feel like in college the coaches are so much more put up on a pedestal and amplified compared right. to if this was an NFL coach. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I guess uh, you know one sort of comparison could be Oklahoma last year. They kind of lost their pillar of a head coach last year in the summer, although that's under much, much, much different circumstances. Uh, but Lincoln Riley did a pretty good job with that team, so I would think that um, Mike Day is that is that the guy's name, the offensive coordinator? Yeah, I think um, so. You know, I'm sure that, yeah, you know, I'm sure that he'll do an okay job, but it's just not going to be the same. It, I mean, that's a very tough division this year. So, uh, it'll it's it's gonna the thing that we're all talking about. This is going to be a like you said, this is going to be a national story constantly until it's resolved. So there's, uh, I mean, national media is already you know swarming to this story as they should, and so I'm with Mark. I just don't see how that gets res- you know goes away without. Uh, a dismissal yeah and I, I saw some of the reaction on twitter today and you're gonna get <laughs> when you're scrolling on twitter and you just type in urban meyer's name you're gonna get every possible angle from every possible person imaginable and one of the theories i saw thrown out there chad and mark were and i saw it a, a, a bundle of times where people saying you know this is the normal news cycle in a week we won't be talking about this and i said you chad this isn't you know the head coach of the akron zips mm-hmm 
covering up and potentially lying for his wide receiver coach. This is Urban Meyer. This is Ohio State. And you put those two together, this is not going to go away. No. I mean, probably one of the two most, you know, recognized college football coaches in the country. And yeah, no doubt. It'll be interesting to see how this, I mean, what would the circumstances be for him to actually return, you think, in this case? I mean, it would have to be. You would a almost have to investigate. Yeah, you'd almost have to find out that he, what he said at Big Ten Media Days was true, that he had no prior knowledge, right? Like, How that, that would be the. That I even? know, yeah. I, I just, that's why we're all kind of in agreement that it's probably the end for, for Urban Meyer, right? So, yeah, let's say Ohio State comes back from this investigation and says, we've investigated it and we've determined that Urban Meyer knew nothing. Do you think yeah. that that, I mean, can he possibly, how long will that, uh, you know, that black eye last black sort of, or people mean, still wondering. Well, the well, I, what are the Ohio State fans saying? Right, I don't. I haven't been following what they're saying. Um, I've base. seen mostly crickets as far as like mm-hmm. having sort of a, a hot take reaction. I don't know what you've uh, seen, Mark, on social media, specifically from right. Ohio State fans or maybe even reporters who cover the team. They're kind of just reporting on yeah. what the latest is. I think the I mean the fans I've seen are standing by their guy. Of course, they think uh, the ones I saw were actually attacking the reporter, Brett McMurphy, who came out for the story oh, this morning. Uh, and you're wondering if he was on a witch hunt or whatever, which is kind of standard, I guess, these days. But uh, I'm not sure how they, you know, how you really justify this when you look at the, the evidence and the statements that are there. And, uh, you know, I mean, he actually has text messages. There's no way to fabricate those. So it's, uh, I mean, I think they're probably just in shock and circling the wagons. But that's uh, at some point, you just got to let that go. He's just a coach. And uh, he's got some frailties there. And you got I mean, I, personally, I think he should just resign for the good of the team and the program and the school and, you know, get out of the way and uh, admit that he made a mistake and take his punishment i mean i'm not sure why he wants to prolong this with a, some kind of investigation like you guys said this season starts friday um mm-hmm. you know, for the good of the players you know he it's just weird because he had that big big spiel about you know no no tolerance for you know mistreatment of women and it's actually like in big letters in their in their practice facility or whatever and then of course all along he's been kind of harboring this this coach on his staff uh and he had to have known if he didn't know everything he knew enough I think that I just don't know how that's so hypocritical. Yeah, we'll see what what develops. But the I get in the other thing with Ohio State is you that is a program um, that will be able to attract another bright young coach. Yeah. very very soon. Right. They, um, they weathered the trestle thing just fine, obviously. Right. Yeah. So I mean, as far as the I, I feel like event ultimately Ohio State leadership will probably determine that even as good of a coach as he is, he's probably expendable. Um, in the, under these circumstances, I mean, certainly, because this is the type of thing. If you do keep him, you could really, you know, if you're looking at this program, you know, the program could unravel very, very quickly. The culture of the right. program it, right. with something like this lingering, and um, you know, it would have been like if you know, if Paterno had you know been kept around for somebody, I mean, never, you yeah, know, that would have been much different. And obviously, Penn State's kind of made his way back, but uh, interesting discussion. It'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds. It might be quick. This is Hawk Central. Mitch Widmeyer, Chad Lystico, and Mark Emmert will take a break. All Iowa Hawkeye talk coming up next. We promise we've got plenty on Brandon Snyder, Tristan Wirfs, and much more. It's Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes, it's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register, powered by G-Mix Fifth Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. All right, let's talk some Iowa Hawkeye football. Enough with Urban Meyer. We got into it. Mitch Widmeyer, Chad Lystico, Mark Emmert, but we're, we're going to uh, move on to... The black and gold, and it's kind of the the story of the the week so far surrounding Iowa football. 
uh, Chad and Mark, is Brandon Snyder deciding to leave the program. Chad, I'll start with you. Uh, I've read many of the articles you've posted through uh, the register, and I know you have a, a pretty good relationship with Brandon. So right off the bat, just kind of what happened, and I know a lot of people questioned the timing of it mm-hmm. as to why it went down this week specifically as we're about a month away from the regular season opener. Yeah, um, I had, uh, you know, obviously I'd been working on this story for a couple days before it happened and, and had kind of caught wind of uh, what was going down and uh, obviously looking to get more details, uh, what I could and what I could find out. Um, and then my, my I had pretty good sense it was going to happen Tuesday. And then um, my phone rang Tuesday morning and Brandon, it was Brandon. And um, so I talked to him for a little bit and, um, you know, he told me his plans. Um he ended up releasing the statement that I posted on Twitter because um, he doesn't have Twitter. So, um, very heartfelt statement. Uh, the timing of it is um, he just finished his last uh, class to graduate uh, on Monday, and, and now he could be a graduate transfer. So he's he's gonna uh, you know the starting safety of the 2016 Hawkeyes um, who was out with two ACL surgeries. He's going back closer to home, South Dakota State. Um, no, he's he's had a rough eight months, no question. Personally, um, you know, got into trouble with alcohol um, back in December, as we've reported. And um, you know, we talked when we talked in June. You know, he was still he was upbeat, but it was clear that he was kind of just freshly past kind of some of the dark stuff that he'd been dealing with uh, and working rehabbing a second time. You know, he he's he said was so difficult because it's it's your way you're working out away from your teammates you're not on the field where you want to be you're basically you have to go every day you have to do everything right to try to get back and it just it is I mean it's a lonely lonely road and that's a tough spot for a kid without a driver's license at that point um you know you know basically hold up most of the time and very lonely and you can kind of see where it all kind of domino effects into making maybe more bad choices and, um, you know, just realizing that maybe Iowa city wasn't the right fit for him for the, for his final year. So, uh, it was a mutual decision. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, Brandon told the coaches he was leaving, but, uh, you know, I think that they all, all parties realized, um, this would be best going forward for both Brandon and maybe the Hawkeye team. And you mentioned, uh, Iowa city and him trying to, to fight some of those demons. I, I, you hope the change of scenery and he's closer to home now, is good for him and I, I i like went to iowa city all the time when i was in college and i can see how it can start some habits and just some poor choices and how it can just unravel fairly quickly where after a certain amount of time you're like whoa this this isn't the me that, that i know mm-hmm. you know you know what i mean so I, in, yep. I i love iowa city but i can see how and i'm not saying it's an awful place i think it's tremendous but i can see how for a college student or a student athlete it can you can start to have some of those bad habits yeah um i was i grew up in iowa city uh the bar culture there is obviously uh, very much a temptation for people um even if you don't want to do it i was fortunate that i stayed away from that um 100 in college i didn't have one drop of alcohol in college uh, maybe one of the few in the history of, of that campus <laughs> <laughs> um but it's it's very difficult in fact nate stanley even said um at Big Ted Media Days, he's never he hasn't been downtown since his uh, recruiting visit. And, wow! Uh, you know, he's he is he is a lot like Brandon in terms of his character, very quiet guy, a Christian guy, and he you know um, that was I think Brandon um, 
will will you know maybe got changed a little bit by Iowa City when, as opposed to what he wanted. And I think this going back to South Dakota now, which is very close to his his home, will help him out a lot. I hope it does. He's a really really good kid. He's done a lot of good things in his life and his career um, for other people. And um, you know now that he's healthy with his knee. Hope that he gets one last chance to have a good football season and ma- mostly get his life hundred um, percent you know, on the right path. There have been, notably, obviously, a lot of departures from the program this offseason. Chad, Mark, both of you can chime in if you'd like. Why, why, and is this one more significant than some of the others, and if so, why is it? Go ahead, Mark. Well, I think, yeah, I think it is. Uh, certainly, you mentioned the timing of it. Um, I also think, you know, a week ago, we were talking about him as possibly getting his starting job back. That mm-hmm. was uh, kind of the big news out of the, the uh, depth chart they released that media day. In Chicago, uh, what eight nine days ago, was that uh, Brandon Snyder was on the co-starter line with with Jake Dervas, which indicated to us that he was kind of on his way back and possibly getting that starting job back. So if he is their best safety or was going to be their best uh, free safety, um, that's that's a pretty significant loss. I mean, they still have some good depth there, but uh, but if he was the best guy, that's that's obviously not not something to overlook. Um, so I think that for that reason, and he was also you know in years past one of their one of their better leaders. Yeah. Um, certainly as a sophomore, I mean, he was on that leadership committee. I think I, he was basically the leader of that secondary, um, more so than Miles Taylor, I think, mm-hmm. that year, and, and continued to do that even last year you know, while rehabbing. They, they named him back to the leadership group, even though he was going to be out for, they thought, the whole year he played one game. But So to me, that tells me that he was you know, kind of one of the more respected guys, at least at that time, and I'm not sure if that was still the case this summer. But, uh, right. but that's, you know, those can be hard to fill, too. So I think it, it is a very big, very big departure for this team. We've got a minute before the top yeah. of the hour. Um, the one thing you hope the new surroundings with him give him a sense of comfort where he can kind of just exhale and get back on track. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I think is super cool, Mark and Chad, from a football aspect, Brandon Snyder's still going to get his crack at Iowa State. He still he still gets his yeah. crack at the Cyclones, right? Week one at Jack Trice or no, it's Mid American Field, you, you, at, yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> at Jack Trice Stadium. Week one for South Dakota State, yeah. Um, Let's touch on Brandon a little bit when we get back, too, because I have a few more thoughts on that. More Hawk Central coming up next year on 1460 KXNO. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes, it's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register, powered by G-Mig's Fifth Street Pub on 1460 KXNO. Thank you for making us a part of your evening. Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO. Mitch Widmeyer in for Ross. Chad Leistico, Mark Emmert, the two usual suspects on air with us as well. Um, we're going to kind of piggyback off what we talked to leading into the top of the hour, and that's Brandon Snyder, and then we'll get to Tristan Wirfs and some other uh, yep. topics as well. I, I know one of the bullet points we wanted to get to, the sort of, I guess we could call it the interesting statement that Iowa released in light of Brandon Snyder's departure, right, Chad? Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the Iowa statement was more related to playing time, that Brandon would get more playing time elsewhere, um, which is interesting in a couple levels. And I think this leads us right into the depth chart conversation. Um, Kirk Ferentz's statement says, We appreciate Brandon's goal to play his full senior year. We wish him the very best and thank him for his grit on the field. Uh, we, we appreciate his goal to play his full senior year. To me, that indicates um, – that there might have been another suspension coming, um, you know. Obviously, that's never going to be known for sure. But I think that, let's say he would, let's suppose he was facing a one or two game suspension to start the season. Um, he, 
you know, all of a sudden now he's not atop the depth chart. He's already missed, you know, 17% of his senior year. Um, does he fly, climb his way back? Um, he's already lost his spot on the leadership team. Um, you know, Amani Hooker and Jake Gervas are on the 12 person leadership group. And those are your, those are starting safeties at this point. Um, so I just think that, uh, all those things kind of, consp- I think that's where Iowa's statement to me, that's what it tells me, um, that he was going to have a harder time to kind of climb that way back onto the field. Um, in that sense. And that gets us to the depth chart. That's one of their most loaded positions, Mark. We've talked about it time and time again. We keep saying there's, yeah. you know, the safety position is loaded. They can, you know, it's a, it's a good problem to have now. It, uh, now they're not as loaded, but I still think they're probably okay. Right. Yeah. As long as there's no injuries. Yeah, I agree. Those three guys they have there are all very good and kind of proven at this point. So they should be good there. You mentioned uh, to Chad the one-game suspension that Brandon was going to face, and another name maybe we yeah, don't p- know. potentially yeah. Potentially. I mean, just uh, that, that that's what the Iowa statement to me said uh, he wouldn't be have a, a full senior season at Iowa. <laughs> and of course, we we've teased the name Tristan Wirfs a couple of times, who's suspended for Week One against Northern uh, Illinois for his OWI. Mark, it, was it a fair punishment in your estimation handed down by Iowa for Wirfs? Yeah, I think so. I think it's consistent with what they've done in the past and what I think most universities that I, I kind of did a little bit of internet research. Uh, that's kind of what I found. Is one game suspension seems fairly typical around the country for for a first offense OWI, and which is what this was. Of course, he's also underage, which is another factor. And, mm-hmm. and the other thing I think was that's leading some fans to question the, the, the length of that suspension is that Brady Reeves got the same thing for a public intoxication. But, uh, I mean, to me, they're they're both very fair. It's, I mean, it's what Kirk Burns it's kind of outlined there, and then uh, I mean, you know, as, as we're all parents, I'm sure it's, it's always difficult to treat all your children fairly. So I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's what the coach decided that was fair, and I think there's no reason to really to question that. I mean, the, the, the big thing with punishment is trying to be a deterrent and make sure you get the guy's attention and that he doesn't do it again. So I think one game for Tristan Wirfs should do that. Now, if it, if it happens again, of course, it's a different conversation, but I think that's fair. Oh yeah, I was just going to say, you know, with. Uh... Uh, public intox is, uh, I think, a misdemeanor. Um, OWI, as I was uh, kind of doing the Snyder story too, you kind of realize all the other p- already punishments you're facing, life lifestyle punishments you're facing with an OWI. Um, so Tristan Worst will definitely face uh, other internal punishments and lifestyle punishments beyond the one game, um, you know, restrictions, I should say. Um, you know, thankfully I've never had one of those. I don't know, but it doesn't sound like it's, you know, I wouldn't want to be without a license. Let's put it that way. There's more than yeah. just a one game suspension. If you're a college football player that goes into it. Yeah. And I'm sure he's going to have a lot. Kirk Ferentz will have a lot of, just like with Brandon Snyder has a lot of requirements and steps that he needs to fulfill. Now that the, the thing to monitor here is that Worf's now, if he, let's say he has some kind of re, second offense at some point, then, then I think you're looking at, you know, you know, a more extensive punishment. I think that that would probably be expected at that point. The one thing I believe that can be appreciated within all this is the consistency with Iowa and handing out these one-game suspensions. It's not as though we can look back three, four years ago and see that, you know, Mm -hmm. Iowa had a quarterback or a running back, one of those premier positions, have the same um, offense put against him, and then they were suspended for a half or weren't suspended at all. Kirk has seemed to always have that consistency with this suspension, I don't think he caught anyone off guard, right? When Tristan Wirfs got the one-game suspension, at least I don't think it should have. 
I, I agree. I, I think I thought I expected one game. I saw a lot of people um, expecting more. Um, I mean, he's been pretty consistent. Even Desmond King, we, he missed a meeting when I was going for a 12-4 and four season, missed the start of a meeting because uh, he had overslept, and uh, he was suspended that first quarter against Nebraska. So um, to me, that it, you're right. I think I would say consistency is the word, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to criticize the one game. Mark, how big of a loss is it for Iowa without Werfs and for this team for the uh, time that he'll be out? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the biggest losses they could have, I think. Uh, Chad, kind of, I met in his column this week, too, in terms of the guys they can least afford to lose. And Tristan Werfs and Lorex Jackson are both on that list, high on that list, because they don't have anything behind them. Uh, you know, the, the listed backup is Dalton Ferguson, who was a senior uh, uh, walk-on and hasn't really played. Um I think Mark Kallenberger might work his way into that mix, but uh, you know he obviously he hasn't played. Maybe maybe Paulson slides over there, but uh, he's the not healthy. Illinois is, they can yeah if he's healthy. The, the thing about Northern Illinois is they rush the quarterback. I mean they got a guy with 14 sacks coming back from last year, and their team sack total and tackle for loss total is just you know insane. How well they I mean they must put a real premium on on the pass rush, and so that uh, that replacement for worse is going to be under a lot of pressure. And will be somebody that's very, very untested. So I think that's a that's a big concern for that opening game. You know, Northern Illinois is not a bad team. They're eight and five last year. It's a, it's a pretty good test as it is. You kind of read my mind, Mark, because I was going to ask you and Chad as a follow up because you just threw out a a few different names. I know fall camp opens Friday with the first practice, but is there any sort of inkling? Do you have any sort of peg on who might fill that hole for Week One in the absence of Worfs, or is it real, real too early to tell? Yeah, it's just speculation. I, I'm kind of thinking, I'm not, I'm not sure why I'm thinking this, but I kind of think Kellenberger seems like he's a guy on the rise and might have a mm-hmm. chance there. I know he's a little undersized, but I know they're high on him. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the, the big challenges of this camp is to identify and make sure you got somebody really, really that you feel good about yeah. that you can put in there for that first game because, uh, it's, you know, it's a big big spot for whoever that is. And so they've got a month to develop that person and uh, make sure he's up to speed. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. I don't know. I I don't expect them to have an answer at media day on August tenth when we when we talk to them. But <laughs> um, the uh, I think it maybe also depends on what Iowa sees and you know as its game plan. If uh, I don't know Mark Kallenberger's strengths, we know that every offensive lineman has different strengths. Like for example, Tim Polisek said that Alaric Jackson's was better on the left side because of his hands placement than on the right side. So I expect Alaric to stay on the left side. Maybe. Maybe Mark Kallenberg is a little undersized at this point as, as a redshirt, but maybe that's good against these quick pass rushers. Maybe that's the type of guy they right. need. But if if they feel like they need a mauling right tackle, uh, I don't know if they have one. But but Levi Paulson right. would probably be the guy I would vote for there because he started the pinstripe bowl at right tackle when Alaric was suspended. Mm-hmm. So um, right. I think that that's a possibility. I don't uh, you know Dalton Ferguson, um, you know longtime program stalwart. You never know. It's a bigger guy. Um, It'll be, uh, yeah, I think we'll see. But uh, I think it kind of depends on the game plan. I agree. If Kellenberger can get some experience here, that's a guy they're real high on. That would be a benefit. I could see them seeing that as a benefit. Hey, let's get this guy a full game experience, get him on film. Let's develop this guy because this guy has a lot of upside. It is Hawk Central here on 1460 KXNO. Mitch Widmeyer in for Ross, Chad Leistico, and Mark Emmert on per the usual. Uh, we'll segue into this. Those three losses, we brought them all up from a player standpoint. Snyder, Werfs, and Reef. How does this impact your expectations, if at all, for September, for week one, for the first couple of games, maybe the non-conference, mm-hmm. uh, whatever one of you want to take over? Well, I'll say I'm, my expectations, I think the, 
it takes a hit a little bit. I think that especially because you're, you're, that week two game is almost going to feel like a week one game in some ways against Iowa State, and that's going to be a, that's a tough week one game um, to me. So uh, I would say, I mean, I'm, I still have not changed in the record I picked for Iowa, but uh, I think that that Northern Illinois game, I saw the line go down a little bit on that game. That 12, I think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so uh, I think maybe even 11. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you can see that coming up. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I guess I haven't really done my game-by-game predictions yet, but I, I, it won't change my – I don't think my expectations because like, I don't think it's going to turn Northern Illinois from a from a win to a loss in my mind. I think they can still yeah. weather that uh, enough and, and get by. So I, I'm going to say no, it doesn't change my expectations. I think they'll, they should just be – you know, they should they should find a way. That's what, that's, what, that's what Big Ten teams should do against lesser opponents. Yeah, one of the things it boils down to for me when you ask that question, like does this change your expectations either – for September, for the non-conference, for the Northern Illinois game, my thought was, guys, is if Iowa were to lose to Northern Illinois, I think they've got some bigger problems coming this year than, right. hey, well, we were missing our right tackle, Brandon Worse, right. week one. So I, I think there's bigger issues that would loom if, if they were to lose week one to Northern Illinois. Yeah, awesome point. Let's. How about we skip ahead to this, these 10 guys because I, I want to get you guys' take on um, the 10 I listed as the 10 guys Iowa can least afford to lose. Now, um, I won't bore you all by just reading everything I wrote, but let's uh, let's start at number ten, Amani Jones. Um, I put him there for the reason that <laughs> Iowa's lost its four senior linebackers from last year, and now Aaron Men's. I think they have to have some stability there, and if if they lose him, it seems like Mark, you've written a lot of stories on Amani. Um, yeah. I mean, where do they go from there? A middle linebacker if he's out? Yeah, you have to be Hockaday probably. I'm ready back to Christian Welch, but you're right there. They're they're seeing him as the next leader of that unit, and mm-hmm. uh, and that would be yeah he's also a terrific athlete yeah I think that would be I agree with that but that would be a significant loss. Number nine, uh, T.J. Hawkinson. That I, mean, I did include two tight ends in the list. I think you can figure out who the other one is later, <laughs> Mark. But it's such a we, deep position. I, I mulled this very long and hard because uh, it's deep. But I really think Hawkinson gives Iowa a value that um, people don't quite appreciate just yet. Right, yeah, and, and a lot of that is the, the blocking as well as the, the pass catching, and, and I'm wondering in that first game without words if he becomes more of a blocking mm. option on the line. Um, and, and he's, he's showed last year that he could handle that, uh, you know, more so than Noah fans. But yeah, I agree. I, I mean, he's, he's a guy that could be a really big impact player for them this year. Yeah, I'd like. I bet we'll see more Nate Weeding in game one too. AJ Epinesa yeah. is number eight. That I think that one won. I, I labored on that, but I feel like this. Um, He's a difference maker. That's why I put him there. What do you get, Mitch? What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree Should there. He be on there? I, I, yeah, I think he's definitely in that top ten. Again, this is Chad's list of the ten Hawkeyes that they can least afford to lose in 2018, and I don't, I don't think you're going to find many gripes with Adrian Epinesa really? being on that list, yeah. even at number eight. Uh-huh. I had him off there initially, but I you had him off, really? and then you snuck him to number I, eight. I, That's I interesting. It, I pushed him all the way to eight, but the more I thought about it, because um, just because it I, is I, it because I of the for, potential. I'm just, is that a lot of it too? Like what what at his ceiling makers, he could do? Yeah, you know? yeah. You've got guys like a Sam Brinks that can do it, and, and even Parker Hesse. But I just feel like if you're going to be a really good team, you got to have difference makers, and so that's why I put him in. And that's why I like uh, him on the list because you've got certain guys on every team where it's like you know if healthy what their production is going to be, and then you've mm-hmm. got guys like Epinesa where it's like man, if he hits his ceiling, that could be real scary for the opposition. He's kind mm-hmm. of one of those dark horse picks in your top ten. I like it. Thanks. Uh, number seven, I think, might be Mark's number two, wide receiver Nick Easley. It is. It is. Okay, let's hit. Let's hit. Yeah. Why? Why is number seven too low for Mister Easley? 
I just think that he's kind of the key to that whole receiving court, honestly. I mean, I think they need his production out there, his leadership, his stability. Uh, Nate Stanley needs to know that he's got a guy that he can count on out there. And I think if he goes down and you're talking about Smith and Smith-Marset as your number one and number two wideouts, neither one of whom has proven much at all at this level. Uh, I mean, that's already a, a position that you have questions about at Iowa just historically. They haven't been very good for years now. I think I'd be asking a lot of those two young guys to fill up all that production. So I think, honestly, I don't know. Uh, that would be, to me, that would be a huge, huge loss for this uh, offense. All right, so I, t- I had a tie for fifth. Um, I didn't cheat and put 11 names on here. I gave Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs the co-number five spot, so they're essentially five and six. Uh, I almost put them higher, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Fifth, is it fifth and sixth? for the? There's just no depth behind them. I mean, yeah. if, if they lose – last year they lost two tackles. It was rough, but at least they had Alaric Jackson there and Sean Welsh. But I don't know who you turn to if these guys get hurt. Savvy move by you to have them tied there. And one, you mentioned the no depth. The other is their job responsibility, which is to protect the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And if you lose either <laughs> of those guys and there's no depth behind him, yeah. you could be asking for trouble. So I, I tied fifth. Again, I don't have any gripes with it. I maybe would have pushed him a little bit higher just because mm-hmm. of what the, the situation – in and of itself, is that there's not a lot of depth behind them and that their job is to protect Nate Stanley, make yeah. him look good, right? So number four, Amani Hooker. Um, I just think he's good. And I think, uh, yeah. and I wrote this before the Snyder stuff came out, but I, uh, as, you, as anyone who read it noticed, I didn't mention Snyder's name in the story because I had an uh, inkling that this was coming. Um, I think for that re- I just think the fact that he's a difference maker in that secondary um, for it, maybe that's too high. What do you think, Mark? No, I, I know what you did there because I know who your number three is too. So you basically put their their top their two best defensive players mm-hmm. on that list high because you're right. I mean, if those guys aren't there, that's that's major. I mean, they don't. I mean, Geno Stone. I'm not. He's no Amani Hooker. I mean, I think he could do the job, but uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think he's a great. I mean, I'm really high on that guy. Actually, I think he. I might have flopped him okay. with the, your number three pick actually. And uh, Hooker missed the Wisconsin and Purdue games last year. By the way, he was hurt for those games. So good. Yeah. What happened in those games? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have Anthony Nelson, number three. Uh, I think we just yeah. went over that. Best player. Number two, I have Noah Fant. Um, again, a deep position, but Mitch, I think an NFL tight end, I don't think you can replace that. Uh, I, as I put in the article, I think when he's on the field, you force defenses to play 10 on 9. Yeah, absolutely. And he's definitely somewhere in that top 10. The only argument maybe he's too high. Again, you're talking about players that Iowa can least afford to lose in 2018. And the only argument against him being at number two that I could find is that you have Hawkinson behind right. him, yeah. who's a pretty dang good right. tight end mm-hmm. as well. Because we talked about those two tackles on the list, and there's limited depth, it appears, yeah. behind them. And they're protecting the quarterback. I, Noah Fant's definitely on that list. He's top five. He's probably top three. If if there were to be an argument, just for sake of us going back and forth a little bit, I would just say there's a solid option right behind yeah. Noah Fant. He's not, Hawkinson's not Noah Fant, that's not what I'm saying, but it's a, right. another really good tight end. Yeah, Hawkinson played more snaps last year. And obviously number one is Nate Stanley. We don't need to talk about that. I mean, that's unquestioned that he's number one. I don't think anybody would argue that. Are you? He's the quarterback. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, no. Yeah. Big drop-off behind him. So who who did I leave off the list that should have been on here, you guys? That's I, really I came good. with three names that I, I might have considered. I okay. think Torin Young. Interesting. Um, maybe one, um, just because and there's, there's a settlement there at running back, and I, I do think that there's going to be a committee there, but I think he's kind of the leader of that that mm-hmm. group, and uh, I mean, without him, that's a lot to ask of those uh, the other two guys. And I put Matt Nelson on there, just because there's mm-hmm. the same reason there's not a lot of depth at defensive tackle. If he goes down, I think that really scrambles your whole defensive line. And then uh, Matt Hankins, 
I'm not ah. sure they have a cornerback beyond yeah. him. Because um, I'm not I'm not sold yet on Ojemudia, and then mm. uh, then you got a lot of freshmen behind those guys. So um, That's I think a great he's, point. He's big key this year, but then you just do a list of thirteen, I guess. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. not sure who I would take off. I would say uh, Hankins. Nelson were two of the last three I cut off the list. The other one was Keegan, yep. Keegan Render was the other one, just because oh, yeah. they need some yep. you know stability on the interior of the offensive line. He's the most experienced mm. lineman coming back. So, yep. And you're not going to find any arguments over here on any of those that you guys just threw in as kind of the right outside? Fans had, some fa- well, I had several fans reply to me because I threw this out on Twitter. Miguel Racinos, what do you guys think of that? Yeah. I mean, he could be a different yeah, – he, he could, could decide a game or two. I don't, I don't yeah. dislike that. But – but Duncan looked good. Yeah, I, that is yeah. another what, one of those dark horse picks. The kicker. Right? Yeah. So it's like <laughs> at least you know, afford to be about the importance of special teams. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, fellas, we've got about sixty seconds left. What do you guys want to wrap up on, real quick? Well, uh, next week, I believe, Mark, unless our, unless plans change or news changes, our our week by week game predictions that we do every oh, year. So that'll be fun, a fun treat, hopefully for our listeners. Um, assume. Assume Ross will be back for that, but we'll see. He usually picks them to go 15-0. and 0, So <laughs> <laughs> That's Chad Lysico, Mark Emmert. I'm Mitch Woodmark. Cardinals baseball coming up next year on 1460 KXNO.